Welcome to another week of instigating with Clarkie and Drury. I'm Ryan Drury, joined as always by my co-host Chris Clark, and we're very pleased to be joined by our good friend, the golf expert that we always turn to when we want to chat about golf. Our friend Ian Doig of the Ian Doig Golf Academy and longtime pro golfer too. Doigie, how are you? How are you feeling, my friend? I'm good. Thanks for having me back, guys. I'm feeling pretty good. A little bit of a scare last week, but uh, we got by it. And uh, I'm back working out and stuff and uh, hitting balls. So doing good. That's shoveling good snow? Hear, man. And shoveling snow today, especially. Wow. I mean, we got about 15 centimeters here last night. So yeah. 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 The area got waxed pretty good. Luckily, there were no power outages. And I, yeah. uh, I had a, a, a decent morning news run. Um, it seemed like the weather hit everybody a little more south of us. Uh, as always, remember, we're brought to you by our great friends over at CoolBet. And we're brought to you by our friends over at Listool uh, or Larry Hudson's Chevrolet Buick GMC here in Listool, 1000 Wallace Avenue. Clarky works there. If you need a new vehicle, you need a new truck. Doggy, I got a nice canyon for you coming in. Hey, 20, 24 or 23, I guess. 23. This is the deal maker. Yep. They're coming this in. The, the 22s are still on clear out, you know, so free you're tires. To, and You're going to have to sweeten it up pretty good. We'll sweeten well, it up. Yeah, free sure. free tires, five hundred dollar gas card. They got a yep. lot going on over thousand dollars off as well. Yeah, it's the deals are happening. Hey, yeah. so, Hudson's has it. Remember that they folks. Do. We're also brought to yeah. you by our friends, our great buddy Al MacArthur, and the great folks over at the Listowel Squash Courts. Visit and I them played on Facebook. I played last night. Uh, I dropped. Okay, I dropped a spot. Nicole beat me last night. So. He um, fell down the ladder. Just to sixth. I mean, I'm still six out of 30, which is not bad. However, Doigie, have you ever had plantar fasciitis? Uh, no. It's very painful, and I have it again. And You have uh, plantar fasciitis right now? Yeah. I'm and you're playing, playing squash? Hurt. I know. I, I, You know, I'm so competitive, and I can't stop doing stuff, and it hurts. Like, And I was hobbling all day today. So, Well, listen, isn't there like and, – and Doigie, chime in if, if you'd like here because I know you've had – you know, over, over the course of your great career, I know you've had injury problems. Is, is there not like an IR that you can go on where maybe you don't <laughs> drop that many spots? We need ladder? to, can you talk to Al? Yeah, we need to talk to Al because he's you putting pressure. I have, I have the texts from Al saying you have until Wednesday to get your game in. Right. Wow. And, uh, okay. I, he made me play and now I'm, I'm, you know, he made me play. yeah. Or I was going to drop five spots. You made me, dude. Just drop the five spots no. and get healthy. No. Oh hey, my God. Okay. Tiger, Tiger just Tiger just played in L.A. and he's got plantar fasciitis too. So suck it up, Clarky. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I, I played. It's him. So it's, co- it's Drury so telling me not things, to play. A couple things. Yeah, yeah. Because you're not Tiger Woods, okay? Yeah, well, and you're also not the Tiger Woods of the squash world either. I so, have ice on my foot as we speak. I'm icing it down, and I have good. some uh, insoles that are supposed to be good for this, but uh, so far, no relief. So, Clark, and you wake up in the morning, minutes off, buddy, and it's terrible. Clarky, okay. go get yourself a uh, lacrosse ball. Yeah. It's very painful. I have done it to keep plantar fasciitis away yeah. and just roll, roll it in your, the bottom of your foot. And yeah, it's I've heard that. But do that. That'll help it go away. I, I feel like I'm in the dark today, but, uh, you know, it's uh, when you get a new computer and you think it's good and it's not, uh, you know, you don't know what to do. Okay. So 
a couple a couple things here out there for our broadcasting aficionados here. So everything that Clarky's saying really just boils down to I, I didn't pre-plan this. So <laughs> when you get new equipment, generally what you want to do before you go on, I don't know, uh, a well-syndicated television show that's sponsored by some great people, you know, generally what you do. Kids, I look fine. Is you is you test the equipment beforehand and make sure everything looks and sounds up to your regular standards. Now, Clarky, you do look fine, but we're generally used to you looking fantastic. And, right. and you can't see Cujo me. behind me. You can't right? like it's just you know. I, yeah, the John Tavares. I get is it. A little I get dark. It. We had a little trouble starting today. We're a little late getting rolling, and Doggy's probably got to eat. And it's you know, it's that. okay. I, 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 I've got some steak fajitas waiting upstairs for me. <laughs> I can okay, smell then, them from here. <laughs> then we got to get right down to business. Doigi, I don't know how much of it you've seen or or how much you're aware of it, obviously, but everybody's talking about this new Netflix documentary. If you haven't watched, it's called Full Swing. You got to check it out. It's Of course, it's right up your alley. And when you're done watching it, we're going to have you back on. We're going to do a full like episode breakdown because it, it is pretty fascinating. Um, obviously, I don't know if you've watched like the F1 series that inspired it, but obviously, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Good for golf. Generally, it's getting really good reception. Well, I'll be honest. I haven't seen one episode of it. Uh, Clark, you got to see it. it. Um, I told I, him to watch it, but he's been yeah, busy. I've been busy. I got a message from a friend of mine from the European tour that I played with Mark Moon the other day. And he said, it's great. He said, well, you got to watch this thing. So um, I, I will get to watching it this week, and uh, I've heard a lot of great things about it. Um, I've heard some players come off very good. I've heard some players come off not so good. Um, mm. I know uh, Dustin Johnson has mentioned that he watched the first episode and then said, that's it. I'm not going to watch anymore. So um, it'll be interesting. I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I just haven't had time. I've, I'm a little bit into uh, the first episode, and uh, that's why I was a little late getting on to here today because I wanted to watch some of it. But, uh, you know, the Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, um, it, it's just neat to see. And you've been inside the locker rooms, Doug. You know what it's like in there. But And, like, I've been in a couple when I covered the uh, Canadian Open and stuff like that for the radio station, but it's so much different. And being in the planes, being – you know, just to fly on the wall in the locker room and hear the guys who are out there competing all the time, but are buddies, you know, it's just different to hear that side of things. Right. Yeah. I, and I would say today's player is a little bit different than when I started. I mean, when I started, it was, we were buddies, but we were cutthroat too. We mm -hmm. had to step on the throat of the other player. And, and mm -hmm. I think that's still the way because we're all competitive. Yeah. But Nowadays, the guys are hanging out afterwards and they're going for dinners and hang and traveling. I mean, I know JT and and uh, and Spieth and those guys travel and go on vacation together, right? So, uh, um, and I did that some. I, I mean, I'm I'm watching the scores here today from the Honda Classic and I see Pearson Cootie shot four under today. It's his first tournament on the PJ Tour. Well, I played golf with his father in Asia, and his grandpa is Charles Cootie, who won the Masters. So, you know, I'm going to pay attention to the Honda Classic this weekend because I want to see Pearson do well. And which leads me to our Canadians. We have Canadians on the leaderboard every week right now, guys. It's awesome. We only have four playing this weekend. On my last look, all four of them are inside the cut line. And uh, that's another good thing. Michael Glickick had a good round today, 69, one under par on a very difficult golf course. So Canadians are doing well. 
That's one thing, and and you'll see more of it when you watch it. I've seen the entire thing. I actually might re-watch it just so that I'm I'm fresh on everything when we do a full deep dive. Maybe, maybe just before the Masters, we'll, we'll come back on and give our full thoughts on it. But I've seen every episode, and Clarky, you know, you're only an episode in. And, and in my opinion, I, if you're already, you know, entertained by it, I oh, yeah. would venture to say the first episode's the worst one. And, mm. and, and that's good news. And Hey, I've, I've always been a casual golf guy. Um, this, this much like the F1 series has really dragged me in. I, I like to learn more about these guys and get some of their history and, I'll say I think my favorite episode was the Morikawa and Tony Finau one. Tony Finau is just maybe the most likable guy on tour. Like everybody loves Tony Finau and it's really cool to learn a little bit about him. And, uh, you know, the Rory stuff, they start getting into when everybody starts signing with Liv and and that whole thing. There's like some good drama involved with it. And um, obviously, you know, when we're starting golf season, this is really the first season since live came in full time and the debate continues to rage doigie on whether or not some of these guys that left should be able to play in majors. What's your opinion on that? I mean, I, I personally am fine with it because, and they mentioned this in the documentary a couple times. I think everybody sees a lane where eventually these two organizations end up coming up with some kind of a deal. Well, I agree uh, wholeheartedly on the fact that at some point in time, they're going to come together. Um, golf can't continue down this path with the split going on. Um, 100% I'm behind all the players. If you've qualified to play in a major, you should be allowed to play. Uh, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I think the PGA Tour has probably taken a stance that they wish they hadn't now. Um, and I do see them coming together. I mean, even Rory has backed off on his position a little bit, but I know that the four majors are allowing them to play. There is, there is even some rumblings that uh, if they qualify, they're going to be able to play in the Ryder Cup. So a guy, a guy like a Dustin Johnson, he's right now ranked 14th, but if he plays in one of the majors and wins, because of the point system this year leading up to the Ryder Cup, uh, majors are double points. And all of a sudden, he could jump his way up into the top and make the team. Well, wouldn't you want Dustin Johnson on your team if he's qualified? Makes total sense to me, right? So um, I just think that we're going to get to a point where uh, they're included. Um, the, big, the big point or the big issue right now is the world ranking points. But a lot of people that don't understand the world ranking points and how it started. World ranking points was started back in the 80s. And it was started by IMG, which is International Management Group. Well, International Management Group had hundreds of golfers under their umbrella who they were managing. But the majority of them were playing in Europe. And they wanted those players to be able to play in the big events and the majors and the invites and that. And so when they came up with the ranking points, they were skewed in such a manner that if you played in Europe, you got more points on from a weaker field. Like the point system was the same, but but you'd be playing in the U S in a very strong field where 130 guys could win any week. You were playing in Europe where 30 guys could win any week. 
but you got the same amount of points if you finished first, second, third, fourth, whatever. And so all of a sudden, that's where you saw the influx of the European players coming over to North America to play. That's how it all started was through the International Management Group and the world ranking points. So why, why, See, aren't, they, is... why aren't they being included now? I don't get it. Yeah, it is strange. And they've got to come up with an agreement, really, obviously, financially, but obviously with that involved as well. It's a complicated thing that they will eventually solve. See, they don't even really touch on that in the documentary. This is why Doigie is our guy, because Doigie knows stuff that general fans like myself, I had no idea that that's how it started. That's why they need Doigie in the documentary. And one thing I will say, and Clarky, you'll discover this. I'm, I'm interested to hear more of your thoughts on, on that first episode. Um, one thing that I hope, I understand, I guess, because it was just eight episodes. You know, you do eight episodes, see how everybody receives it. Um, one thing I hope that they do, they're guaranteed doing more seasons of this, is a, an episode on ca the Canadians, because you wouldn't know they existed in, in these episodes. They don't talk about Corey or Hadwin or any of these guys. So I hope in season two, we get an episode that's like dedicated to, you know, like here come the Canadians. Cause like you said, we got four guys at the Honda classic this weekend. Uh, Gligic obviously leading the Canadian pack right now. Um, Clarky, your thoughts, obviously just on, you know, the, the way they put it all together. Yeah. Like I, it's, I kind of like watching this because a you see the behind the scenes stuff, okay? Yeah. And B, the other reason I like it, and you know, like I worked at Leafs TV, and that's what we strive to do all the time is to take the fans to where they hadn't been, right? And when Leafs TV was in its heyday, and actually we were producing actual shows, um, taking people into like the one that was close to me was the behind the draft show every year. I was in the meetings with the scouts every year. Barry Trapp was leading the way most of the years I was there as the head scout for the Leafs. Pat Quinn would pop in every once in a while. And then JFJ, you know, became the guy. Um, and things sort of started unraveling for Leafs TV at that point because he was a yeah. nervous guy. JFJ was a little bit nervous. Um, but you couldn't tell from his trade dealings. We always tried to be, you know, like the fly on the wall, right? And people... Yeah eat that up. And I eat it up now because that's what I did for a living. So I like watching it. Um, I I'm into it. You know, as I said, I'm only a little bit into the first, uh, episode, but it's, it's neat stuff. It's really cool. You, well, that's the thing I think that's probably unique for you. Clarky is like, you have so much experience creating this content and then on the other side of the coin, you brought it up earlier. Doigie is a guy that has experience being the content he, he mm -hmm, lived it. Exactly. He's been in these locker rooms. Yeah. What's it like? You know, what do you remember Doigie about going into a tournament? You mentioned earlier, you know, things were very, you know, a, a little more cutthroat back, you know, when you were playing in those tournaments. Um, and, and you're right. And this, this documentary does kind of highlight some of the more, you know, friendly relationships. I mentioned yeah, everybody loves Tony Finau and J JT and Jordan are hanging out and everything. And it, it's a little more, you know, a little more friendly. People are yucking it up with Rory and stuff. But what was it like being in those locker rooms with guys who would maybe come off the course, had a bad day, someone had a really good day and everybody was trying to chase them down. What do you remember about being in those locker rooms in the heat of the competition? 
Well, I mean, there's there's so many stories that I could go on and tell about, and and um, one of the things I'm working on is is a book where I'm I'm talking about what happens out there, and I I have the stories from the caddy perspective and from the player's perspective, but I can tell you a couple of quick ones, and I won't name names because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but uh, <clears throat> back in the early '90s, there was a very very close to a fist fight in the locker room with a couple of players, with a couple of Canadians involved. Whoa. And it was quite interesting. And they were ready to throw down in the locker room before a couple of other. Come on, Doigie, you got to tell us who it was. I can't. I, I, you can't I can't, tell us. I can't tell were you, you. involved? I was not involved. I was okay. not involved. Um, but here's, here's a funny one. This one happened at Bay Hill. Uh, I want to say around 1982. There was a, a player playing and he, he always liked to hit his practice balls into the wind and the range was straight downwind. So he had gone to the back end of the range to practice. And there was a player at the front end of the range who didn't like him and he could hit it that far. And he on purpose started bombing drivers at the guy and they slowly figured out who it was. And all of a sudden the player on the back end of the range marched straight down the middle of the range. Everybody on the range had to stop hitting balls and he walked right down up onto the front end of the range, walked over to the guy and just absolutely cold cocked him <laughs> on the range at Bay Hill one year. It was like 1981 or 82. And it was quite something. I mean, it was it was pretty funny to watch. So there's stuff that has happened out there that is is very interesting. Is that like, is that automatic DQ? I don't know if it's like, you know, obviously in hockey, you just go sit in the box for a couple of minutes. What is the <laughs> etiquette package in golf? Like, are they, do officials come over and go, you know, your trunk slamming, see you later? Well, to be honest with you, I can't remember if anything happened with that one, but, but typically if you step outside the boundaries of what is considered professional conduct, it, uh-huh. Starts out as fines first, right? And I think the first fine on the PJ Tour right now is a thousand, and then it goes wow. up from there, right? And uh, uh, you know, I mean, I was fined a few times on on the Canadian Tour. Um, I think my biggest fine was five hundred bucks. They started out at a hundred back then on the Canadian Tour. What'd first you do, Doggy? Swear, swearing or something like that, right? You know, uh, hitting a bad shot and cursing afterwards when there's a, a volunteer nearby or something like that. And that volunteer took offense to it and reported me and and I got a, uh, I got a discipline. So, you know, I've, I've, I've had a few. Uh, I've, I'm not afraid to admit that. Is there a guy who you didn't like to play with? Like, like I, I, I know, like, Mike, I heard Mike Weir talk. I don't know if it was on the record or off the record at one point, but he would go head to head with tiger for instance, and tiger would putt out um, when maybe he didn't have to. And then the entire gallery would be moving right to get to the next hole to see tiger. And Mike Weir still has a 10 footer for par. Right. And like people are scurrying everywhere. So it didn't seem like from what I gather, Mike, Weir like playing with tiger, but was there anyone like that, that, you know, like it's not against etiquette technically, but, you know, like just wait maybe and let me, you know, wait, yeah. wait to tap yeah, in that two foot. That's, that's something that a uh, reputation that Tiger had. And we all knew yeah. that if you were in Tiger's group, that that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so you did, you always wanted, you didn't want to be with him or the group in front of him. You wanted to be the group behind him. Mm-hmm. Because if you're in the group in front of him, as soon as he puts out, all those people are running up onto the next hole to watch him play. And yeah. you're trying to hit your shot in that. Right. So it's yeah. very, very difficult. Um, 
I, I'll tell you a story. The only guy I really ever had a hard time with was Billy Andrade, uh, Canadian mm. Open one year. And, and uh, I was right on the cut line with a couple holes to play. Uh, we had had a lot of rain delays and uh, Billy was missing the cut by a pile. And we got to 17 at Glen Abbey and he had already hit his second shot up to the green. And, and uh, I got over my shot and I, you know, I had a very good chance of making the cut and making some good money. And, and I was over my second shot and I looked up and Billy was up on the green putting. I backed off and kind of gave him a shoulder shrug to like, Billy, what are you doing? And he backed off to the side. And so I finally got in and I hit my shot. I never, ever did get set correctly. And mm -hmm. I hit it in the bunker, but while my ball was in the air, he ran out, putted out and then ran over to the 18th tee. And the reason being is we were close to the, uh, the siren going for darkness. And if we teed off on 18, we could finish the hole and he wouldn't have to wait and come out the next morning. So he'd get on a plane and go home. Right. So he wanted to start 18. Well, I'm in the bunker. I'm getting ready to hit a shot. And all of a sudden I hear this screaming and I look over and the rules official is screaming at Billy. And then he's screaming at me, what's going on. Billy had ran over to the 18th tee and hit his tee ball over the heads of the group in front of us. Oh my God. Without even asking them or telling them or anything. Right. And then the official saw it and the official started screaming and he was screaming at me while I'm in the bunker. Anyway, I had a poor bunker shot out, missed, yeah. missed the putt, made bogey, hit it in the bunker off the tee on 18, had to lay up, hit it on the green and three putted and made bogey, and I missed, missed the cut by a shot. Uh, and I heard afterwards that Billy had been fined $5,000. It should have went to I you. I personally think that five grand should have went in my pocket because yeah. I was going to right? Yeah, that's yeah. terrible. So uh, that was the only time... Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a couple of times on the Canadian tour where I, I played with some younger players that it were thought that they were all it and yeah. they didn't have very good etiquette. And I would just stand aside and eventually uh, one time in Sault Ste. Marie that I wasn't hitting and kid said, are you going to hit old man? And I just turned to him and I said, well, when you stand still and show me the respect that I show you, I'll go ahead and hit, but I'm not going to hit while you're over there moving around. Mm. Yeah. Stuff like that happens. Yeah, that's I, the thing about like just even the amateur game when you go out and like I don't like it's all in my mind I know and I'm not that good of a golfer but I hate when a guy doesn't mark his ball in the green like just yeah. mark your ball just mark it and pick it up yeah right? well like, and that that's just standard fare there's a, there's yeah. a few little things you know what it we're allowed 45 seconds to hit a shot unless mm -hmm. you're the first person hitting on the on the hole you're allowed 45 seconds if you can't stand still to show respect to the other player for 45 seconds, there's something wrong. Yeah. Right? And so that's all I've ever asked. Yeah. Uh, mark the ball, stay out of my, my sight lines. Yeah. Um, so I always tell young kids, uh, you know, when I'm coaching them and stuff that if you can't see the person's chest or their rear end, you're standing in the wrong place. If you can't see their chest or their rear end. So rear if end. you were potting or whatever, yeah. Okay. So the the putter, he'd be standing right there or right there. Okay. Never here or here, because yeah, yeah. as I tilt my head, I can see him out of the peripheral vision, and then right. if he moves, yeah, that can distract me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But if he stands there, like, and it's really funny it, it, people look at us sometimes when when we're playing. If there's five people following a group, mm -hmm. that becomes very difficult because they'll be moving all the time, and you mm -hmm. see that movement. But if there's five thousand people following this. 
it just becomes background movement. So you don't even notice it anymore. Yeah. Right. So if there's one person behind that flag, when I'm out at the hundred yard marker trying to hit a shot and he's moving around, I'm going to wait. Mm-hmm. But if there's 5,000 back there and they're right. all moving around, it doesn't bother me. I just it's like wait. the waste management, right? That whole, yeah. like they're all hooting and hollering. So it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, you have to expect it. Yeah. Hey, are you a pin in or pin out guy now that you can have the option? I'm a pin out guy. It you know, takes up 17% of the hole. And uh, yeah. well, I need all that hole I can get. And I look at it this way. I, I was taught a long, long time ago that the pin only helps a bad shot. That's probably why I like it in. <laughs> when, you, when, you skull it, when you skull it across the exactly. green. Exactly. Yeah. But yes. my plan is not to skull it. My plan is yep. to get a good shot every yep. time. Right, so I know. I, I was wow. actually lights out when I was in Dominican putting the. Yeah, I was. I was pretty we good need putting. Video which is, evidence, which is we surprising. Need evidence. Eighty four <laughs> was my best round down there. I was happy with that. Three. We need video evidence. Oh, yeah, that's not bad for not playing for a good while. Although I will say you played pretty good that round that I watched you play here at Listowel Golf Course. And, and that was not even warming up for the first match. Like we just got oh, out there yeah, and it, played. Like, come yeah. on, guys. I wanted to go hit some balls, right? Like haven't played in six months. No, nope, let's just go. Come on, the, you know, the tee's open. Let's just go. And I'm like, can I hit some balls? No, nope, we're going. And what if you have good fundamentals, Clarky? It doesn't take much to warm up. That's right. That is See, true. That's the, that is that's absolutely the difference, true. right? And, and you like, know, the Clark doesn't hole, have. Go ahead. Thank, thanks, Ryan. The first hole is short. Like it's a three seventy, maybe three seventy par four, right? So I was hitting five iron off the tee. You know, two ten, leaving myself. You know, it must have been about a three twenty because I had hundred yards in every time. Like it was a short par four, but danger all around the green. Like you could try to hit it, but it was a sucker drive in my mind. And I always played it well. So anyway, there you go. There it you was go. fun. Yeah, I highly go. encourage it. Barcello Bavaro Beach okay. in the golf course there. If you ever go, it's good. You know, Ryan, Ryan, going back to some of the stuff that uh, out on tour, you, we talked about who you like to play with and stuff. And, uh, you know, um, one of the guys that was really tough to be paired with was Lee Trevino. Mm, really yeah because he he was always chattering he was a chatterbox and uh, uh, uh and he, he barely would even shut up when he was hitting his own shot right so you know that was difficult but i remember one time again at bay hill um david ogren really good guy was in the group and um trevino was hitting first the first five or six holes and he had this habit of the guy that was hitting last as he was in the middle of his swing he would start walking and you could see his feet, right, from your peripheral vision. So on mm-hmm. the sixth hole, David Ogren swung the club up to the back of his top of his backswing and then stopped. And Trevino was about six steps gone down the down the tee deck. And Bogey looked up at him and said, hey, Lee, do you mind if the rest of us play? Stand <laughs> up right in front see, of everybody. Lee didn't like it very much. But that, that's the type of stuff that would happen. And that was yeah. – that was in the old days because a lot of the older players used gamesmanship. Sure. Absolutely. They, yeah. They would rattle their coins in their pockets and they would move oh, yeah. off in the back backswing and things like that. And that used to happen all the time. Yeah. And you know what? The funny thing is I used to love watching Lee Trevino play because yeah. he was chatty, but I wasn't playing. You know what I mean? Like he right. was the kind of guy who you'd want to see play. Cause he would always have a comment and you could hear it. And it, oh, he's but, a good player but, too. Yeah, I mean, but the other side of it is, yeah, it could tick you off. You're playing with yeah. him for sure. Great, great player. Like when I was caddying and, and I was trying to learn how to get better, 
he was one of the guys that I would go watch hit balls. So I would walk down the, the range at the end of my day when my player was done with me yep. and there was still daylight and guys were practicing. And I would watch Lee Trevino and Raymond Floyd and Lanny Watkins and, and uh, you know, Gary Coke, obviously, who because I worked for him and, and yep. all these guys hit golf balls. And I would just sit and watch them and, 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 you know, periodically they would turn and say, you know, what are you doing? Ian? Well, I'm just trying to watch. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to get better. Right. And yeah. That's how, I, that's how I got better. But Trevino was phenomenal to watch. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. yeah. He had great technique for sure. Um, I think, you know, maybe, maybe a little more pronounced technique than, than Clarkie's whiskey mitts, but I digress. Doigie, I, I want to know. You have nothing you can say about my game when you can't even swing a club hardly. No, I know, but I can okay. comment on it. And so that's what I'll do, right? You know, we're, we're gonna fix that this we're gonna fix that this summer there. Right? Okay. Okay. Maybe we should, yeah, because I'm getting really into it and I know I'm never gonna be a, a good golfer, but I mean, you know, like let's try it out, right? Um yeah. I wanna know, I wanna know Doigie as well. Uh, uh, just final one on this subject. And 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 this could just be a story you heard. Even what's the greasiest thing you ever saw or heard of in a major golf tournament? And and I don't even necessarily mean like the Masters or something. Just a big tournament. What's the greasiest thing that you've ever heard occurring between players? Well, back in the seventies, there was a player by the name of King who played on the tour, and. The story is that he was linked to the mob and that he was a collector and stuff. And uh, he was very intimidating. I mean, I, I met him a couple of times, but he was very intimidating. And there is a story of uh, he was paired with a rookie one week. Um, I can't remember what event it was, but they were walking along and there was a big lake along the left side of the fairway. And this king just kept kind of angling further towards the water. And the rookie was so nervous that he walked right into the lake. He was so intimidated by this guy that he walked right into the lake. Oh, yeah. so I was not there, but the story has been around so many times. And for so long, I believe that it is true. Unbelievable. Maybe he like just subtly lifted his shirt and got a gander at some of the mob tattoos. I don't know. Like uh, the old Russian star, who knows? Then, oh my God. Um, Here's a story for you too. This is, this is a funny one. This is, this one comes from the mini tours back in the seventies and eighties. And there was a guy that was trying them and, and uh, he wasn't doing very well as a golfer but he kept showing up and putting up his money every week. And, and everybody wondered like, how's this guy afford to do this? And we eventually found out afterwards that every week he was robbing a bank. <laughs> that's, that's how he was financing his, his life on the, on the mini tours. Oh my he was God. robbing a bank every week. Every yeah. week. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's uh Hey, like credit to him in the very least in this sense that his commitment to your craft like he's dedicated you can say that for sure oh my god i don't think i could rob a bank every week to do just about anything that's that's something i want to ask you quickly about this too uh and and then we we can move on to obviously talking some hockey because your guys your guys maple leafs we and and this this is greasy. The Leafs did us one dirty, Clark. You have a complaint I'd like to send along. I'm gonna tell Kyle Dubas next time I see him in Guelph. Um, 
could you hook us up and maybe do this trade while we're doing the show and not do it at, you know, 11 at night. Um, we'll talk about Ryan O'Reilly, but before we take a break and move on to that doggy, I want to ask you, you know, from a perspective of caddying, because you've obviously done both at the highest level. They talk quite a bit about it, obviously, in the documentary. And there's a great episode in there about Joel Damon and his best friend is his caddy. And Joel Damon, like that, that's the power of these docuseries. They they introduce you to characters you're really not aware of. And I'm a I'm a big Joel Damon fan now. What a what a interesting guy. He's had a crazy life. Um, obviously, you know, losing his mom to cancer and all that stuff. He he's had quite a it's a great episode. You'll really like it. But his best friend is his caddy. And then, you know, you look at other stuff and they kind of dig into it saying some caddy player relationships are a little more business-like. Some are very, you know, personal. You look at like Brooke Henderson, her sister, caddies for quite often. What was your preference as a player and a caddy? Did you want from both perspectives for it to be a little bit more of a, a friendly personal relationship or more business oriented? What did you find was most successful from both sides of the bag? Right. So um, as a player, I tended to, which is kind of funny, I tended to want it to be very professional and business-like. Um, I kind of wanted to keep things separate that way. If there was an issue out on the golf course, I didn't have to turn and scream at a friend or anything like that, that I was upset over something that happened. Um, that was my personal feeling. And there, there's a lot of that out on the tour, especially when I started and when first went out, most of the, most of the caddies back then and the players, it was completely professional and business-like very few of them had become close friends. And, and I would say that, to be honest with you, I was probably one of the first of that generation in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, where um, the guy I caddied for became a friend. He became like a brother to me. As a matter of fact, I ended up living in his house with his wife and his two kids for years. And when I say years, I mean years. I wasn't like I was just there for a couple of years. I spent every winter in their house for almost 10 years where I lived with their family. And so that relationship, even though it started out as a player caddy relationship, it became a player friend, almost brother, brother with Gary Koch. And uh, he became my mentor and, and taught me so, so much. And so I'm very thankful for that. I watched today, you know, uh, uh, I won't name the name, but there's a player out there playing right now who has his, one of his best friends caddying for him. And I actually think it's hurting his game. I think that he would be better off getting somebody, a veteran caddy that's been around for a long time to caddy for him. Uh, because I think what happens when your friend is caddying for you, that friend may agree on a club selection so that he doesn't offend you. And you want to have that caddy that looks at you and says, no, that's the wrong club. You need to hit this club or you need to play this hole this way. And then you discuss it and you come up with the, of what you need to do correctly. But sometimes when your best friend's caddying for you, he's afraid to say anything. So he may let, might let you hit the wrong club because he's afraid to say anything. So that's where I think the friendship part of it gets into the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic and obviously it's going to be different for everybody, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to get your perspective on that. Cause you do, you do get a sense of the other side of it a little bit. Um, 
in in the docu series when when they're highlighting Matt Fitzpatrick and he's got a more veteran caddy and like they're friendly with each other, but I mean it is a little bit more you know uh, business like they've got years separating them and it and it obviously benefits him because you know they capture his win on on tour um, and it's well, just well, a different I, I will, dynamic. I will say this: like my first year, probably year and a half caddying for Gary Coke, I would venture to say that I probably only had dinner with him once or twice. Right. But as we, but as we went into the second year and so on after that, not only was I having, going out and having dinner with him, you know, he would get a room with two beds in it, and I would stay in his hotel, which would save me money, and that. So you know, it, that's how it evolved. But it didn't start out that way, right? So, but you know, my whole my whole caddying experience. I don't I don't even know if you guys know what this was all about. My whole caddying experience was. Um, I had a job in Sarnia, Ontario, we're cutting greens and stuff. And I put a, a brand new riding greens more in a pond on the third hole. And 10 days later, I was at the con- at congressional country club in Washington at the Kemper open. And I was there at, mostly as a spectator. Um, but Gary Coke walked by Sunday morning at about 1130 or 12 o'clock carrying his own clubs and I ran up on the first tee and asked him if he needed a new uh, caddy. And he said, yeah, he did. His caddy hadn't shown up. And I caddied for him that day. And I ended up caddying for him for two and a half years. Wow. And so that's how I got into caddying. It was quite the story. I mean, I, I literally, I had shorts on and we couldn't caddy in shorts back then. And I said, how much time do I have? And he says, you got five minutes. I said, don't give that bag to anybody. I'll be right back. And I ran into the pro shop and bought a $50 pair of slacks and had the girls inside taped them up with tape because they were too long. And I ran out and I caddied 18 holes that day. And that was my introduction to Gary Coke and caddying on the PJ tour. And two weeks later, I was caddying for him in the U S open at Baltersall in 1980, the year Nicholas won. Unbelievable. Now that is dedication to your craft. And, and if anything, that's a lesson for the kids, shoot your shot, shoot your shot. You never know. You yeah, never know. I went for it. I went for it and, it and it worked out great. It sure did. Well, and it worked yeah. out great for us in the future, obviously, because you're our golf expert, man. This is what we have you for. But now we're going to shift. We got to talk about your Maple Leafs. We got to talk about the big trade and some other trade news dropping as we record this involving a certain team that I cheer for. We'll talk about that next here on Instigating. <laughs> Welcome back to Instigating with Clarky and Drury, still joined by our great friend and golf pro Ian Doig of the Ian Doig Golf Academy. And now it's time to talk. We've got these two on here. They're both big Leaf fans. Let's just dig right into it. I, I mean, if you haven't heard, you're under a rock. Obviously, the Leafs, just a little bit after we recorded our show last week, they went out and they couldn't do us a solid by doing it during the show. They had to do it hours after but they go and they make a big splash and of course i don't think the leafs are done but you know right after we talked with dark guy a little bit about who he wanted them to go get they go out and get one of the top three targets that he listed and that's mr ryan o'reilly obviously a, a godrich native and grew up a big leaf fan and noel Chari as well a really good bottom six gonna correct player. you whoa, whoa 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 he's not a godrich guy he was born in clinton hospital but he played all his minor hockey in seaforth ontario Yes, yes, but he's also celebrated as a son of Godrich because he yes, played he did, a lot he, there he, as well. He took the cup. He took the cup to 
Godric and Seaforth. They had a pretty yes. niche song. That's right. Yes, he, he did. He, he's I, more known as being a Seaforth boy. Okay. Well, I will stand corrected then. <laughs> and I, I, I apologize wholeheartedly to the community of Seaforth because I know he obviously has very deep ties there, as do his parents, who, nice for them, they were able to go and see his first game as a Maple Leaf. And then the other night, pretty good night against one of his former teams that uh, he lost the passion for playing hockey while he was there. Buffalo Sabres as he puts up a hat trick and uh, remember guys, cool. bets the place to go. And I had Ryan O'Reilly that night as an anytime goal scorer. And I almost took the risk and sprinkled on two plus. And I should have, cause my winnings would have looked a little better, but if you're going to bet, do it with cool bet. And yeah, he scores a hat trick, pretty incredible stuff. And he was one of only a handful of Maple Leafs players to score a hat-trick within his first three games with the team. He ends up with four points. Clarky's favorite player, Mr. Fancy Pants himself, Morgan uh, Morgan Riley, Mitch Marner, five assists night, pea soup, the old Doug Gilmore impersonation. Pretty incredible stuff. Doigie, your thoughts first. You're our guest. What was your reaction when you heard Ryan O'Reilly and Olachari are Toronto Maple Leafs? I absolutely loved it. Uh, if you remember the last time I was on the show, I, I said that uh, Ryan O'Reilly would be a good fit. I, I do that. remember. I, uh, I'll tell you what, Achari has surprised me. I love the way he plays. He's got some speed. He's got some grit. He loves to hit. And, you know, and he's put up a couple points already. So I love that. But here's a little thought going back to Ryan O'Reilly. He played three years for Buffalo, about 120 or 125 games or so, and never had more than a one goal night in that building. And on, in his first game back with the Leafs, he had three. I found that very interesting, right? So, uh, you know, does he like, I think he likes playing in, in, uh, in uh, Toronto. Um, maybe we should try and get him on. We, we should maybe try and do that. I mean, I do loosely know his dad a little bit. Brian's a very interesting guy. And, and How about course, we just wait and we'll do a live show from the parade? That's that's what we will do. Of course, he he came and I got to interview Ryan when he brought the cup that he won with St. Louis. There you of go. Course, yeah. To Godrich and Seaforth. Spent uh, the afternoon following him around and he was awesome. He was really good with the gathered media that was there and uh, I ended up having a good 10 minute, 15 minute chat with him um, on my own. He was, he was great. So yeah, obviously this is a move that pushes the needle a little further toward them trying to finally get over that hump and maybe go on a cup run. And wouldn't that be special if he was the final guy that was, was a piece that pushed them over the top. And of course, you know, many people will know, but his dad is a really interesting guy. He's like a sports psychologist and, and, and training guru. And he trains Ryan in the off season and they do all these, you know, weird that hockey Night Canada did a great piece on it a couple of years ago during that playoff run. They do all these weird training techniques. He'll have him balancing on stuff and, and stick handling. And he does all these unorthodox things for basically tuning Ryan's fine motor skills in tight areas, stick handling face-offs. Of course, Ryan O'Reilly famously has one of the weirdest curves in hockey history. Um, I won't even try and describe it. Google it. it. It's bizarre, but it works for the guy. And it's obviously working in Maple Leafs blue and white because he scores a trick the other night. And boy, is he ever good defensively. Clarky, what was your reaction? I know that you were... Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, pretty exciting. We're thrilled. It's, we talked about it. As Doiggy said, he's the kind of guy the Leafs need. Big guy. He can throw his weight around if he wants to. He doesn't put up with any crap. He's a leader. He's a Conn Smythe winner. He's the kind of guy they needed. Uh, you know, a couple of my buddies, oh, they overpaid. Can you get off the overpaid? Like, they gave up no rock current roster players. They they retained their two top um, prospects in the organization, yep. Robertson and, uh, and Nyes. Like, yes, draft schmaft, Cliff Fletcher. I get it. But this is a now team, and that's what now teams do. They yeah. trade away their picks to win now. And we know how long we've waited, haven't we, Doggy? And we don't want to wait oh, yes. any longer. And we're going to do everything we can to win the cup this year. And that's what they got to do. And boy, has he ever fit in. And I think I was on the show saying when Doggy was on, like he would fit in great on that second line and move Tavares to the wing. It's an easier game from the wing. And Tavares, as you mentioned, Ryan, had looks like he slowed down a little. Well, it may be a perfect fit, even though Sheldon Keefe has said that Come playoff time, he may be the third center, third line center, but I don't think they're done yet. And that's why we'll have to wait and see. There's so many moving parts. And now Orlov's gone. Chikrin, like, I, I'm not a big fan. And all of a sudden, it looks like for some reason, the Ottawa Senators are in on Chikrin. Like, I don't know what's going on there and why they would want him. But anyway, um, well, like, what's with I, Minnesota Wild? They're like a, they're like a bank. They, ha- they ate half or a quarter of of the salaries of uh, O'Reilly, and they were in on today's Washington deal, eating some of Orlov's deal. I don't get why they – I mean, they're getting picks for nothing, I guess, basically. But anyway. How about about Shea Weber's uh, contract getting picked up again? (laughs) Yeah. That stuff's so goofy, man. It is goofy. The Arizona, it's just more, more, you know, obviously Vegas involved on that side of things, but just the the goofy nature and ongoing – silliness of the Arizona Coyotes, which I can't get going. Doggy, you can't don't, push don't, me don't toward start, talking don't about start, Arizona. Don't start. I can't do it. I, I can't and I won't. But I, okay, I you mentioned, good. obviously, Ryan O'Reilly, and we don't think the Leafs are done. Now, I mentioned before the break here, obviously, that uh, my cap's involved in uh, uh, I would call it a pretty big deal from both teams' perspectives. Obviously, the Boston Bruins have mm-hmm. acquired Dmitry mm-hmm. Orlov, who you know, was uh, an integral part of of pushing my guys to winning one of those big silver things there. And uh, sad to see him go. Um, he drove me crazy a lot. Uh, I I was, you know, not very pleased with the last couple of years uh, of him. Mm-hmm. But I think he'll just slide right into Boston like Campus Lindholm did last year and become an impact player again. He's still young. He's only 31. And they get Garnet Hathaway too, which kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Just a good grinder, and he'll do anything for the team. Just a, a coach's dream, the old adage. So they're gone. It's looking like the Caps are going to be sellers. And what do you think of that, Ryan? I want your opinion. You got Ovi on, you know. Well, they should well, they should be. They they should be sellers. Look, the fact of the matter is this them in Pittsburgh, they've gone blow for blow for a long time, trading division titles, mm-hmm. winning some cups. They're just old. They're old now. They're, they're slowing down in Pittsburgh. They're slowing down in Washington. They're the core of the team are older guys. Yeah. 
a lot of injuries in Washington this year. And, and I'll be frank though. I don't love our coaching staff. I think they're bottom five in the entire NHL. I think the coaching staff in Washington's abysmal. I think uh, even if Washington was perfectly healthy all year this year, I still don't think they'd be much better than what they are right now. And what they are right now is an aging team who's slowing down in a young fast man's game. And they need to continue this sell-off of some of the older dudes. You obviously keep Ovi. You don't trade my guy, Nick Backstrom. You keep those guys around to, to help the young guys. You need those guys. You help the young guys. You keep Tommy Wilson. He's a future captain. I would say basically everybody else on that roster, but minus the young guys, is on the table for me. I mean, if you can get uh, easily a first-round pick and a slam-dunk prospect for a guy like John Carlson, perennial Norris Trophy candidate, puts up billions of points, big right-shot defenseman, help anybody's power play, get it for him. Love Johnny Carlson, but get it for him. I hope he returns soon because of that. Obviously, he got hit in the head with that puck a while ago. If you can get something for the two goalies, go ahead. Kuznetsov, the most frustrating player since Alexander Semin, but he did win a Stanley Cup. I, I'm I'm talking like near scorched earth here. That's just where they're at. And I think maybe the Leafs could potentially take advantage of that. Now, I don't think they can ever find room for a John Carlson, but a Nick Jensen, maybe a guy like that, a right-handed shot guy whose defensive numbers are actually really good. On a pretty affordable contract, maybe the Leafs can go in on that because the Boston Bruins, a team that they're likely going to potentially have to go through on that cup run that they want so badly, they're adding two pretty good players here. Orlov and Hathaway are going to be impactful, and they're going to be impactful in playoff-style hockey. I'll tell you that right now. So um, overall, you know, I am I knew this was coming. I'm not upset. I, I, I'm not... I don't have blinders on. I know what my team is all about and I can adequately assess what they're all about. And on your side of things, I think that this is great for Toronto and they're going to be involved. Clarky, really quick before we get Doigie's opinion on this and, and maybe some defensemen he'd like to see, because you get the big forward, maybe they can add more, but Jake Muzzin now on permanent LTIR. Sad for that guy. We just hope that he's going to be okay, but Leafs aren't done moving and shaking. You brought up Chikrin though. It makes perfect sense to me why the team like, you know, the Ottawa Senators would be after a guy like that because they still believe that they can make strides next year. And if you add a guy like that who, let's be clear here, he's getting a bad rap, but he's in Arizona. So I kind of mm -hmm. discredit that. We are also talking about a guy who's on a very good cap hit, who's very young, and he scored 20 goals. He scored 20 goals in a season yeah. for the Arizona Coyotes on defense. Let I guess it's just strange. Yeah, I know. No, I, I know. I understand. It's it just bizarre. seems strange. And I'm sure you'll agree that you see two teams that are well out of the playoffs at this time of year making deals together. That usually happens in the summer, not a trade deadline. But I guess you're right. If I mean, if they want the player next year, moving beyond that, then yeah, get them. But it just seems weird that they would be in on him at this point in time. That's all that is surprising to me. You would think a, a playoff team would jump up and be able to, to so, you know, to do that. And then if Ottawa wants him, trade him to Ottawa on the offseason. But go get the guy I, now. What I think is 
what I think is that Ottawa would envision having a Chikrin Shabbat, Jake Sanderson, Eric Brandstrom top four. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the vision, right? And you figure it from there. I personally think that DJ Smith is as talented a coach as he is. I personally think that he's going to be, you know, on the chopping block. They should probably hire my cousin, Brad. Um, but I I really think that that's what their goal is. Now, Doigie, let's move back to the Leafs here. You've talked about this a lot. You you want them to go get a defenseman. You got your big forward. You got Ryan O'Reilly. I like the ability of moving him up there and bumping Tavares over or shuffling him down to center the third line. That's what having a guy like that offers you. Lots of flexibility. Defensively, we talked about this last week with our friend Dark Guy. I just don't think that this team can move forward and do damage on a long playoff run with Justin Hall in the lineup every night or really any night. And so they need to go get a guy. Who are some yeah. guys that you would maybe like to see in the mix? Well, I want somebody that's big. Uh, and I wouldn't mind Chikrin only because of his age and his contract and everything else. And, and sure. you know, we, we bring him in and, and he grows into a good position. I, I could see us doing that. Uh, Perico out of uh, out of St. Louis. We've already dealt with them. Let's let's uh, you know maybe I, the big thing that I want is I want somebody that's big and bruising that will stand in front of the net and knock guys on their rear end. I mean, I, I think about a couple goals that uh, Wall left let in recently, where he was scrambling to get his hand on the puck in front of him, and eventually the puck popped out and they shot it into the empty net but none of our Toronto players knocked anybody on their butt. And I, I just am tired of seeing that happen. We need a big, big guy. I'd even bring Labushkin back if we could. Right. <laughs> the big Labouche. Yeah. The he played against us in I mean, Buffalo. Just yeah. Just yeah. push somebody around in front of the net. Yeah. I, 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 it, it just drives me crazy. And I know we talked to Pooley last time Pooley was on Ryan and we talked about how much we honestly think, uh, Justin Hall has improved this year, and he he oh, he gave all the credit to uh, to Giordano and how he's been playing so well because of Giordano. But it just drives, and I'm sure it drives Doigie crazy. This guy's a big guy. This guy isn't tiny, and he, I don't think he knows how to hit. Like I honestly don't think he knows how to lay a body check in this league, and it's so frustrating to watch. Is Luke Shen an upgrade to Justin Hall? I think we both agree he is. I would certainly not want to give up anything more than a fifth rounder for Luke Shen. Like nothing more. They want a fifth rounder. I'll take Luke Shen. Um, and then you look at other teams down the bottom, like, you know, Chicago and, and, and what's going to happen with Patrick Kane. Now I heard this morning that it sounds like Patrick Kane is still saying he just wants to play for the Rangers and maybe really tying the hands of the Blackhawks. So if they want to get anything for him, um, they'll have to trade him to the Rangers and they won't get a lot, but it's better than nothing, I guess. Um, and then Montreal, like I love seeing Montreal in that 21, 25 uh, in the league's place because teams don't get better doing that. You've got to bottom out and they refuse to do it. Um, so will they be trading a defenseman or a forward? We'll have to wait and see. We're a week away from the trade deadline and it's going to be an exciting week ahead, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Um yeah, I, I would bring Luke Shen in if they could get him for a fourth or a fifth pick. I, I don't have a problem with that. I did Hall, Hall threw a check on the boards the other night in the Buffalo game, which really caught me off, did he off trip? guard when he did it. But then about eight seconds later, he coughed up the puck. So I was like, you know, 
I, you just never know what you're going to get from them. No, and I just you can't go into a long run of the playoffs trying to get past Tampa and Boston with him as one of your top six defensemen. I'm sorry, you just can't do it. And, and, and Boston and re- just got better, right? Yeah, they, so, well, we'll see. I mean, it's hard for them to get better, and we'll see if they've disrupted the uh, the dressing room because that can happen too. But um, forwards, I think they need to add another forward too, and I think they're going to try. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they're offering a uh, curve foot around the league. I'm not sure what you would get for, uh, for the Swiss army knife as he's referred to, but do you see any other forwards that they might dangle out there? Like, it certainly seems like they, they're content on keeping nice as long as they can here and hope he, he turns out. Yeah. But what if he doesn't, I, I mean, I'd be happy True. to let, let, let package, package him up with somebody and go get Timo Meyer. Yeah. Right. I'd be okay with that because nice. We don't know what we're going to get. Right. We're in win now mode. You said, right. I I agree. We just put Joey Anderson on waivers. I don't know if he cleared or not. I haven't looked at the wire to see. Yeah. I mean, leaf fans get excited because they're like, Oh, they're clearing roster spot. What are they doing? Why are they, you know, (laughs) right. What are they doing? Right. But uh, yeah, you know what? Look at let's package him together with nice and go get Timo Meyer, bring him in. Yeah. Uh, Timo Meyer is very interesting because uh, of the control you would have on him. Um, You've traded your first round pick already for Ryan O'Reilly. You do have one next year um, because it's going to take that probably. It'll take a first and nice probably to get Meyer. But if you then flip Meyer in the off season, maybe you can recoup a first rounder, right? And like I said, like I said on, I don't know if you guys saw it on Facebook last week. I, I kind of threw out a hypothetical that if we could trade, you know, three these three players and i mentioned morgan riley a hall and whoever else maybe it was kerfoot or whatever and bring in ryan o'reilly and somebody else and, and a stud defenseman but it guaranteed that we were going to go to the stanley cup final this year and next year would you do it well of course you would mm-hmm. right so if it means moving somebody out but we're going to guarantee ourselves a chance at the stanley cup let's do it now here's a, oh, yeah. here's a little something i, I that I want to ask you. When was when was the last time Toronto won the Stanley Cup? What do you? Why are you asking me well, that? Just, well, in 1967, right? In 1967, <laughs> yes. how many rounds did you have to win to win the Stanley Cup? Two. You only had to win eight games. Okay. Has have the Toronto Maple Leafs ever won more more than eight games in a Stanley Cup season since then? No. Well, well, sure they have. They made the conference final in the nineties. Okay, and so they won the eight games. And okay, maybe they won a couple games in the in that third series, but they've never won twelve games. Well, because they've yeah. never made it to the finals. They've yeah, only well, they won, won eleven. They won eleven. They won two series, though. Yeah, I know, but they took they've LA only won two seven, series so. in the history of their team. Yeah. Yeah, why, yes. why are you like? Don't bring up this stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, no, did, we have no oh, control. It's over relative. That. It's no. relative. We haven't, we have never won more than two series in the history of our team. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. And that's the kind of curse that, you know, hopefully Mr. O'Reilly can help break. It's oh, going to be interesting. I, I, I think it would be a, a pretty good Hollywood story in Southern Ontario and uh, across Leaf Nation. I think it would be a big deal a week away from all the trade fracas. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more big deals to uh to go down and you can guarantee the Leafs are going to be involved. Doigie, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Glad you're feeling good, my friend. Thanks so much for doing this, brother. We're going to do it again soon. 
Always a pleasure to come and be with you guys. And thank you very much. All right. That's it for us this week here on instigating. Remember you can watch the show Friday nights at eight, Sunday nights at nine with our friends on Whiteman TV. That's channel six for Whiteman subscribers. We debut on our YouTube channel Friday nights at nine. Follow us on social media at instigating pod. Follow Doigie on Twitter at Ian Doig golf. You want golf lessons? Doigie is the guy, the Ian Doig golf Academy. You can Google that as well. For myself, Ryan Drury, for Clarkie, our great sponsors, Cool Bet Canada, Larry Hudson's Chevrolet Buick GMC here in beautiful Listowel. Remember, Hudson's has it and the Listowel squash courts. We'll see you next week for more instigating.